Good morning. Am I on? All right, I have to turn myself on, so that's pretty cool. So good morning. Uh, my name is Christopher. Introduce myself. So uh, I'm just going to get right into this. Raise your hand if you did not go to seminary school. Let's get your hands up. You did not go to seminary. So you have you did not go to seminary school. Get your hands up high. Keep them up there. Be like, I'm embarrassed, right? Okay. Okay. Now you can put them down. I'm going to embay, right? Raise your hand if you have no formal Bible training at all. Get your hands up. Say, I feel good because I'm in good company because guess what? I have neither of those things. And it is great to be here um, at Newbridge serving with Dustin and Jeff because they are both well-trained and very knowledgeable in the Word. Amen? Amen. As a matter of fact, I, I really do think no one is better at understanding the nuances of Scripture and trying to get the balance between Word and Spirit, which is what Newbridge is about. They are very good at that. But today I'm going to share not from commentaries although there's nothing wrong with reading commentaries. And I'm going to share not from uh, listening to other people's sermons, not, not a bad idea either. This is not going to come from my vast knowledge of Greek or Hebrew. This is just going to come from my journal. So this here is what I use uh, in the morning. Um, I write really small. So I'll show you how I write. So here's, here's my writing. So this is, this is it. So I will get up in the morning and I have uh, coffee. I like it dark and I like it quiet. And I just like to, I just like to speak to God. And so what I'm going to be sharing today is with you what God has shared with me. Because raise your hand if you do realize we've all been called to be a student of God's word. We've all had the ability to come into his presence and allow the Holy Spirit to take his truth and to make that revelation come to life in our hearts, right? So you don't have to go to seminary, although God bless those who have. You can just hear from God. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be sharing. And it's, it's ironic. Let me see if I can find where it was. So here I am. These two pages here. This is all off of um, this is what we're going to preach in today, Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18. Now that is about a week's worth of journaling because as David said in Acts 13, 22, by the way, who would like to be called a man after, David's, after God's heart? David was called a man after God's heart. Who thinks that's a pretty cool title? I like that title. Let's, let's see what David said. He, he said that uh, in Psalms over 15 different times in Psalms, David talks about meditating on God's Word, to think about what God is saying, what it means, and how it can be applied. As a matter of fact, Psalms 1-2, but whose delight, say delight, delight. not bad, say delight. delight, thank you, is in the law of the Lord, the Word of God, say Word of God, Word of God. very good, and meditate on it day and night. Now, I believe the reason that many of us do not experience the supernatural power of God, and by the way, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is clearly about the supernatural power of God. But I believe that many of us don't, don't receive or live in that power the way God desires, because if we're honest, we really don't find delight in knowing and spending time in God's Word. We spend very little time thinking, dreaming, and pondering about what God says, what He's doing in our lives. We've allowed the busyness of today's world to capture our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our dreams and desires, right? Gone are the days of those long car trips. Let me date myself. Who can remember life before the minivan? <laughs> life, life before the minivan and tinted windows. Raise your hand, right? Remember the station wagon? 
How long was that thing? That was like 50 feet long, had like 200 windows. None of them tinted, which just meant that vinyl, who thought vinyl was a good thing for seats? Right, vinyl? That all, so no matter where you parked it, sun baked in on those vinyl seats, didn't they? And you sit down and you would scorch the back of your legs, man. It's like bacon sizzling on a frying pan, right? But gone are those days, because remember, in that time, there was no DVD players, there was no smartphones, and you had an A-track, an A-track in your car, and it got no reception outside the city. So what did you do? You sat in a car, and you learned to be still and quiet. You learned to think. You learned to annoy your sibling next to you. You learned to ask annoying questions like, are we there yet? But in that, right, you had an opportunity to spend time in the presence of God. And I believe we've lost that today. And if we can't get back to that, guess what? We're going to miss out on the supernatural life God has called us. So let's get ready to get into scripture. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your truth. I thank you for the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I thank you that as amazing as that story is, that it is relevant for us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just open our ears to hear your words, open our eyes to see your truth, open our hearts to receive it. Allow it to sink in so that it can make a difference, so that we can go out and that we can make a difference. Help us to learn from these three young boys what it takes to live a supernatural life that can bring glory and honor to your name. We just ask this in the awesome, the powerful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Very good. So uh, today I'm going to be sharing from Daniel 3, 16 through 18. So go ahead and turn. Uh, who brought their Bibles? Very good. One of the things that we do make sure that happens in our children's sanctuaries, they got to bring Bibles, not their smartphones, and they got to learn to find things. It's amazing how fast they can find things. Just trying to get them to understand where things are in the Word. So here we go. Raise your hand when you've got the Scripture. Here we go. You guys are very slow, by the way. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So let's take a moment just to kind of get the backstory here. Uh, we have three young boys taken from their homes into captivity as a result of the nation of Israel's disobedience to God. Now, we think we're pretty disobedient here in America, amen? I think if you look at what's going on here, you have to say, no, we are really not in a good place. How disobedient must they have been to get to the end of God's patience and long-suffering? Because he kept warning, and he was finally at the place. He said, you know what? Done. So they are taken into captivity. That should bring some good news to us, because raise your hand if you realize that even in this environment, we can make a difference. And the supernatural power of God can still operate and move, right? So these three young boys, they have been taken from their homes. They are in another nation, in a culture, right, that is not of theirs, okay? 
So the Hebrew word for youth in this text, or actually is in the text before that, uh, implies it was the word used for young youth. The, the Greek and Hebrew word, they have lots of different words with, with different meanings. It was a little bit more advanced, their words had more meanings. So the word youth in this text was for young youth, which means 9 through 13. That's a middle school boy. So we got three middle school boys, and I want you to just kind of hang on that because we're going to go back to that. That is who is in this scene, three middle school boys. All right, now they are taking a stand against the most powerful man in the world, and this is really hard to grasp because let's just be honest, they don't make dictators like they used to. I mean, they just don't, right? We've got laws and lawyers and nations come together. So even as bad as we see with some of today's terrorists, they are just not quite like they used to be. So you've got the most powerful man in the world with no one to keep him in check. He's evil. I mean, he makes today's terrorists look like, like Barney, right? Like Mr. Rogers coming in with his sweater vest and his little deck shoes, little sneakers. That's what he makes them look like. So that's, that's the scene that we have. And here we have some middle school boys. Now let's, let's ponder that for a second. Um, anybody in here a former middle school boy? Anybody? Anybody, anybody raise a middle school boy? Anybody hung around middle school boys? Yeah, testosterone, dangerous. We were, um, before we started full-time at Cornerstone, I was still working in the hospitality business, and Dustin and Michelle decided to go on a missions trip. So they went, I believe it was to Guatemala, and Michelle came and asked my wife, hey, um, how would you like to watch my three boys? And my wife said, hey, it's everyone's dream to have, um, uh, I don't know, seven kids under the age of nine. Right? She's like, no, I'd rather go to Guatemala, right? I'd rather be in a third world country. But she says, all right, I'll watch your three boys. Now, they were all boy. And something really not quite right happened when their three boys kind of got in the mix with our two boys and you threw our two young girls. I mean, it was an absolute storm. So I was working at the, at the hotel. Uh, I came home from work, and, and I remember I walked through our house, and I went to the backyard. And my da uh, wife was sitting in the chair on the patio, and the little neighbor girl from across the street, she was, I think, 12, Jamie was her name, was sitting there just talking with Christine. The kids are just kind of doing something in the, in the backyard. So I remember I walked in, and I said to my wife, man, it must be nice having some estrogen around. So Jamie, the 12-year-old's like, estrogen? What's estrogen? So I tried to give her like a quick, you know, uh, chemistry kind of bi biology lesson. I said, well, sweetheart, uh, testosterone um, is the uh, chemical that kind of makes a man a man, and estrogen would be the chemical that makes a woman a woman. And I, I promise you, I'm not exaggerating this story. As I said that, I look up at the hill, and I'm not going to um, divulge the name um, of Mark Pennington, because I would not want, <laughs> I would never do that. Would not want to embarrass him. But as I said it, I, I kind of looked up peripheral vision. And now, mind you, in our backyard, we, we had indoor plumbing. So there was, there was a toilet in several of them, actually. And I look over there, and Mark is pretty little, and he decides he's going to go. And he was still young enough that when he went, he dropped. Okay? We, right? So he, he drops, and I look up, and he's, he's going. He's just going. I don't know what was worse, the fact that he's going, or the rest of the boys were like cheering and thinking that was awesome. 
I'm not even sure which one it was, but I remember I, I looked at Jamie and I said, now, sweetheart, if you look up at the hill, that is testosterone in action, right? It is what makes men do stupid things. And I remember she turned to my wife and she's like, man, I'm glad I got estrogen, right? I am glad I got estrogen. That is why the Bible says, I believe God gave Adam a helpmate. He said it was not good for man to be alone. Can I get some wives to say amen? amen. Let's be honest, man. Our wives and their estrogen, should I say common sense, have saved us from a lot. I mean, if I'm going to be transparent, my middle school boys, I want you to get a hold of that, middle school boys. How many intelligent things happen with a group of middle school boys? I mean, I was just pondering that, really. Uh, hey, man, what would happen if we did this? Did that really lead to any great historical contributions to society? No. I dare you. Never led to anything I want to do today, right? I mean, just the, by and large, testosterone can be a very dangerous thing. Yet, here we have three young men taken from their homes, given new names, new identities, and they're standing up to the most powerful man on the earth, and they refuse to bow down to him or to anything the world has to offer. So let's see what we can learn from these three middle school boys. Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have. Say we. we. Say we. we. They said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now, I believe the first thing we can learn from these three boys about how to experience the supernatural power of God is that there is power when we come together. Say we. We, we come together. When we, say we, when we operate in unity. Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Galatians 6, 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens. Romans 12, 15 reminds us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Ecclesiastes 4, 12 says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Paul in his letters to both Romans and the church at Corinth teaches that our ability to experience the supernatural power of God occurs when we come together as one body in unity, working together. See, we must be careful to not allow technology and the busyness of life keep us from doing life together, establishing deep and meaningful relationships, being open and honest and real. Some questions. It was we. I think that's the first principle here, we. When was the last time you had someone over for dinner? Coffee to talk. This morning as I was praying, I, I added to my notes, and it was just the art of entertaining. Raise your hand if you know if we, we've lost that. We have some older people in here. My mom and dad are here. That, that art of entertaining, right? The china, the silver, the dining room. What's the central piece of furniture in a dining room? It's a table for fellowship. And you watch your home and garden shows and no one gives a hoot about the dining room. I gotta have my man cave so I can throw up my 95-inch TV. Hmm. 
with a remote control that I can't figure out how to use. Right? You're turning on things at your neighbor's house, but you can't change your channel. Your kid's got it on something else. I don't even... Anyway, point is, what's the focus of the man cave? TV. What's the focus of a dining room table? Fellowship. I'm not telling you to sell your screen, flat screen. I mean, if God does, do it. But I, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, we've lost the art of entertaining. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone that went deeper than the superficial weather, sports, kids, job, etc.? When was the last time you shared what God was doing in your life? I mean, really shared. When was the last time you got together with others to pray, to intercede, to seek God? When was the last time you and your spouse prayed together for your kids, for your family, for your finances? I mean, for anything that mattered. See, the difficult moments that make up life in a fallen world, raise your hand if you realize they are out there. Those difficult moments that make up life in a fallen world are half as bad when we have someone else, others to share them with. Someone say amen. amen. And the blessings that God gives out of his mercy and grace, and raise your hand if you know that he pours those out upon us. And they are twice as good when we have someone to share them with. Amen? They're twice as good. So I encourage you today, as point number one, get plugged in and engaged to the body of believers God has called you to be part of. Don't be busy for the sake of being busy. But don't think you can be a spiritual Rambo and be who God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do on your own. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just here to tell you that is not God's plan. It will not work. If your life is not marked by examples of things that can only be explained by the supernatural power of God, we serve a powerful God. He dwells in us. Perhaps, perhaps, you've been trying to do things on your own and you need to follow the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Start forming relationships where there is accountability, where there is mentoring, where there is deep, meaningful relationships where we lean on each other and we help hold each other up. See, I believe verse 16 starts saying, not me, but we. Say we. we. So Daniel 3.17 goes on. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. So we serve. Say we serve. We serve. Say we serve. we serve. See, I believe that speaks to the importance of putting aside what we want, what we think, and recognize that it is very easy. Listen, church. It is very easy to confuse your desires, and your impulses with the will of God. Raise your hand if you understand that. But we get off and doing something and we just assume because we want to do it, that was of God. We got to be very careful. We serve speaks to the fact that 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to take our thoughts captive. Before we do, we need to ask God to show you hear that? Before we do, we need to ask God to show. We need to ask him to open our eyes so that we can see what he's doing, what he is up to. Now, our enthusiasm and willingness, although important and beneficial, are all in vain unless directed by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to share a story. Um, I grew up in the 80s. Uh, my parents owned a motel, and my dad had a big flower bed out front. He wanted to remove it. 
okay? So he rented a jackhammer. Now I was working out, I was like 17 at the time. Um, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I did not really wear shirts at that time. And I don't know what it was, who grew up in the 80s? What was up with the shirt that was cut off right here? I mean, if I had a shirt on, didn't even cover this anyways, right? Because they were cut off here, right? So I decided my dad rented the jackhammer. I mean, I was, I was excited. I'd been working out, and um, we kind of lived on a big main road. So I got up early. I had enthusiasm. I had excitement. The jackhammer was there. The air compressor was there. So I come running out there. I had no shirt on. I think I had some baby oil on there so my muscles would glisten, and I'm, I'm ready to roll. So I'm like this, so my dad comes out, I'm sure he was shaking his head, he is more simple than I thought, right? So he, he wants to give me some instruction on how to use the jackhammer. He wants to. I did not need any of my father's instruction. I did not need any of my father's direction because I had enthusiasm and excitement and really all I needed to do was to see my glory. So he could see it was going nowhere. So he went back in in our, our uh, motel. The whole front was all windows. It was like, like 20 feet, big windows. So he's sitting at the front desk where, where you check people in. And he's just watching me. So I, I get that. And I get the, those. Anyone jackhammer before? Yeah, those things are heavy, are they not? They're heavy. So I, I get the thing up. I strained a little more than I would like to admit. But I, I got the thing up and I had it out here. And I was positioned just right. I mean, my, I was looking really beast, right? So I pulled it, well, it just went like that and fell right in the ground. I'm like, whoa, this is harder than I thought, right? So I picked the thing back up and I said, all right, I gotta get a little stronger. So I had it right here and I'm still right like that. And I hit it like that, right? And just fell on the ground. Now my dad realized he's renting this by the hour. So after about 30 minutes of watching me fail miserably, he walked back out and said, hey, Einstein, do you wanna know how to use it? And the reality was, it's tucked in here. You don't see any of yourself. Amen? See, the reality is, we oftentimes confuse our enthusiasm for God's will. Our desires for His purpose. And really, we're excited not to bring glory to God, not to follow His instructions or directions, but to just check ourselves out and say, man, aren't I pretty awesome? Aren't I pretty awesome. To abide. John 15, 4, Jesus says, unless we abide in him, we cannot bear fruit. We won't experience the supernatural. We can't accomplish the impossible. To abide is to submit and surrender to God's ways, to deny ourselves, right? There are 53 Bible verses that deal with self-denial. Amazingly, not one has made it onto a coffee cup or t-shirt at Lifeway. I went there, not one. I mean, don't we love, oh, I know the plans I have for you. I love it. I can accomplish all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to live the abundant life to the full. I just got to be honest with you. I think when anyone says this, ready? Deny and die. <laughs> I'll just be honest. That is more theological. And it would, it, look, at, I was just thinking about it. Deny, it's four letters. Deny, big black block letters. Deny and die. It's balanced, right? But then we need to go home and like in our little girls' rooms, they got that little kitty, right? The inspirational, cute kitty. Hang on. No, we need to rip that off. Sunshine, deny and die. We just need to plaster that on a nursery. And it seems harsh, right? Deny and die. But raise your hand if you realize that's what we've been called to do. 
See, we don't experience the supernatural power of God because those verses we have little time for. But the truth is that much of what we're chasing after, longing for, dreaming about, has little to do with God or His glory. Listen, it's got much to do with my comfort and me. The supernatural power of God is always experienced in the will of God. Listen, as we serve, say serve. As we serve God. Taken from their homes and forced to live in captivity in a pagan godless nation, these middle school boys were committed, I just find this amazing, to not compromise no matter what the cost. So question, kind of rhetorical there. How are you on compromise? How easy is it us? How easy it is for us to compromise values for entertainment, what we watch or listen to? Compromise what we believe or do for promotion and power? Compromise our resources for worldly possessions? Compromise our time with God so that we can have popularity and position, so that we can have a bunch of likes on our Facebook page, right? So we can have a bunch of followers and all of that social media stuff. How easy it is to compromise. Is the way you're living life today, is it an accurate reflection of what you believe, of what the Bible says, and how the Holy Spirit has convicted you to live? See, I believe until we are willing to allow our relationship with God to take us to the end of self. The end of self. To the place where comfort, control, and understanding, they're all sacrificed. We will never be in a position to experience the supernatural power of God. See, when our love for God and pursuit of Him is the motivating factor of who we are and what we do, watch this, what others think... What they say, what they do becomes unimportant. The endless what-ifs that are all drawn out of our fears, fear of man, fear of failure, fear of the unknown, those fears no longer have the power to keep us from where God wants to put us. Listen, the fiery furnace sometimes is exactly where God wants you. We're going to talk about why in just a second. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were serving a righteous God in a sinful world, they found themselves at the edge of a fiery furnace. The fiery furnace is the place where we are tested. Say tested. tested. It's where our love for God and, and, and our commitment to Him are revealed. Where all that is not of Him is burned away. Where we die to self and we take up our cross and follow Him. Remember, deny and die. Man, I know it sounds harsh. Deny and die. I hope everyone's got that shirt next week. We should just all wear those. Deny and die. The, the reason so few Christians in America today experience the supernatural power of God is because, get ready here. Now, raise your hand if you know the conviction of God is a good thing. We have forgotten that interest. Now, look at me. I, I teach our kids this. Condemnation makes you feel bad about who you are. And the Bible says that is not of God. Raise your hand if you understand that, right? Condemnation, bad about who you are, you reject that. Conviction is of God, and it makes you feel bad about what you're doing. That's an all right thing. 
It's all right to be convicted. It's all right to get a little uncomfortable because that is only, right, no pain, no gain. You're not going to change if you won't allow yourself to be convicted. The reason so few Christians in America today, in America, experience the supernatural power of God is because they spend their lives avoiding anything outside their comfort zone. If you are living for your best life now, if your focus is being on the best you, really? Does that even exist? The best you? If that is what your life is about, if your walk is about, listen to me, you will never experience the fullness, say fullness, the fullness of God. Remember, you got to take your eyes off of me. It's not about me. It's not about how cool I think I am, how good I think I look, or how good I'm acting. It's all about him. The power and gifts of the Holy Spirit are not experienced until we step out in faith as the Holy Spirit leads, as he directs. Until we're willing to be put in a situation that is beyond what we can accomplish on our own in the natural, unless we're willing to get up, to go out, to engage, to pray, to serve God, guess what? You're not going to experience the supernatural power in your life. You're just not going to experience it. Question. When was the last time you felt the Holy Spirit direct you to do something crazy? Something crazy. Out of the ordinary. Out of your comfort zone. To pray for a coworker and for a stranger at the supermarket, for a neighbor or a friend. When was the last time? And when was the last time you obeyed? See, the Bible is full of examples of simple acts of obedience, opening the doors to God's supernatural power. But as long as we're comfortable sitting on our spiritual, you know, bottoms, doing, my mom's in the house, I had to say bottoms. I was going to say butt, but she was like, right, I was like, bottom, I didn't want to get my mouth washed up with soap when I got home. So spiritual bottoms, right? doing something close to nothing but different than the day before, living life for ourselves, we will miss out on all that God desires. Now, our simple acts of obedience, listen to me, our simple acts of obedience are not triggers that release our sovereign God into action. Raise your hand if you realize we don't get God to do anything. He's sovereign. So my simple act of obedience don't make God do anything. Rather, they are triggers that release our faith into action. Simple acts of obedience. If I can get, I've got a little vi uh, a picture here. If you can put that up on the screen. There's a Facebook post. She was at kids camp in Tennessee. And um, so I got this Facebook post. This is what it says. Seizure free and no sickness with no meds since Sunday. Won't he do it? He's still in the miracle business, y'all. Alyssa wears this prayer hat every night given to us by evangelist Christopher Peterson. By her own faith and the earnest prayers of her parents, friends and family, God has healed our baby. Now what was cool is we went back to Tennessee a year later. Her father's a pastor and he came up and shared that testimony. So let me just give you the story. We were, had our healing service. Just asking the Lord, what do you want to do? It's as the Spirit wills. He decides how he's going to operate. Our job is to be obedient. And her father came up to me and said, listen, I've been praying. Because I just said, what's God want you to do? Be obedient. I'm telling you why we don't experience God. We never ask. 
Well, let's just like, roll out with our enthusiasm. We don't ask him, what do you want to do? We just start doing and say, come on. And he goes, that's not how it works, Christopher. I'm sovereign. You follow, right? So I said, just ask God what he wants. And I, I was really hammering home little simple acts of obedience throughout the Get up, rise. They're just not that hard. So her father comes to me and says, I just feel like the Lord laid on my heart. I'm to get a red hat. So I'm up on stage, the, the altar, right? People are praying and... I said, hat? He goes, you got a red hat. I don't know. Let's go. So we were telling the story of Joseph, and I had a scene, right, where Joseph throws a party for the brothers and reveals that he is their long-lost brother. So I had, this is party city red hat. Raise your hand if you realize there is nothing spiritual or supernatural about that. Nothing. What made that click? Simple acts of obedience ushered in for a young girl a supernatural healing, seizures that could not be controlled by meds, and now seizures that are no longer there without meds. Yeah. Our three young Hebrew youth show us in these scriptures that our love and adoration for God will put us in impossible situations as we serve him. Say serve. We will find ourselves at the edge of a fiery furnace. Don't run from the place God wants you to be. Don't run from that place. Again, if you are comfort driven, you're going to see that and you're going to try to run from the very place that God says, no, I want you there. I want to burn away that that is not of me. I want to get rid of those things that are getting in your way and I want you to receive my supernatural power as I do something incredible through you. It does not happen on your couch. It's not going to. Get out of your comfort zone. Now, I'm not saying you just go run to those things. Again, it's as the Spirit lives. But as God places you there, do not run from the place God desires you to be because look at me, that is the only place where you're going to experience His supernatural power. God is always in the center of His will. Someone say Amen. Daniel 3.17, moving on, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Is able. Say is able. Is able. Now, is able, I believe, speaks to the truth that our God has the power and authority to do whatever he wants. Our God is not. Say not. He's not limited by our circumstances or situations, he can do the supernatural. He can accomplish the impossible. Is able tells us that what we believe does not change who God is or what he can do. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in the impossible situation, they had faith in God. And notice, notice, God was not on trial. Not on trial. See, I believe that the supernatural power of God is not going to be experienced as long as we have God on trial. Think about this. What did Jesus do for the Pharisees? Nothing. And you want to know why? They spent all their time saying, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. The Bible says we must have faith. Faith, faith that says God is able. The story of Lazarus. Remember the story of Lazarus? I love this because he died, right? He's in the tomb. That's a great story, by the way. I don't even want to try to get in there because I'll just go off on that one. But at the very end, Martha comes out and Lazarus has now been dead. 
She sent her, her um, servants there. By the way, it was two miles. It's like a 12-minute run. He shows up four days later, dead. So when Jesus comes on the scene, this is what she says. Martha says, I know that even now, dead brother, whatever you ask will be done. Kind of that platitude. We know, raise your hand if you know we know what to say. Now she's speaking to Jesus. Hey, listen, I know that even whatever you want done now, I mean, he's been dead for four, it's going to be done. It's going to be done. So a few verses later, Jesus says, all right, here's a deal. Roll the tomb away. Roll the stone away. And what was her response? She was not excited. She did not run to the tomb. She wasn't like, oh, yes, this is what she says. I'm going to go King James for you because it's a great word. Jesus says, roll the stone away. Her response is not one of excitement. This is what she says. By this time he stinketh. <laughs> stinketh. I just thought that was a great word. Stinketh, for it has been four days. See, we say the right things, don't we? How many of us believe it? How many of us really believe it? We kind of sit in our place. No, he's great. And then God says, all right, let's go do it. Well, no, I ain't doing that. I'm not praying for that person in the, in the grocery store. No, I'm not going to go do, no, I'm not doing that. But he's awesome. He can do anything. You got to get to the place where you're going to get out of your comfort zone. Our God is sovereign. He is self-sustaining. He is self-sufficient. He alone exists and operates without having to answer to anyone or anything. He is intimately aware and involved in the lives of his children, in the situations we encounter, and the challenges we face. Listen, it's one thing to ask God what, where, when, and how. God is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of our questions. But there's a big difference to wanting to submit to the process of the Holy Spirit. You know, when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to give birth... She knew the scriptures and realized a virgin will give birth. When she said how, she was not questioning whether it would happen. She just said, okay, then how are you going to do this really crazy thing? It's all right to ask those questions so that you can understand the process. But it is a totally different thing to question who God is, what he can do, and the authority he has. You are not, we, I, will not experience the supernatural power of God if I have that attitude. I gotta believe. I gotta believe. Matthew 9, 23 and 24. If you can, said Jesus, if you can, if you can, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And I love this. This is where I need to be. I have a feeling maybe where you need to be. Immediately the boy's father explained, Man, I do believe. And then he was honest. He says, Help me overcome my unbelief. Matthew 17, 20, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing, say nothing, nothing will be impossible for you. See, is able says, my God can remove the situations in front of me. Is able says, my God can deliver me from the circumstances I face. Is able says, I am not limited to seeing things only as they appear with my physical eyes, but that I can view life with spiritual eyes through the lens of God's infinite power and limitless possibilities. Is able keeps my focus on the love of Jesus Christ. 
on the power of the Holy Spirit and on the authority and glory of our Heavenly Father. Question, which person are you? Are you a can God? Or are you a God can? Amazing, same two words. Can God, can God, or God can? The Bible says that we're to have faith like a child, like a small child. Who here had little kids? Raise your hand if you had little kids. Now you guys are little, some of you have just two, two little kids. Remember when your kids were little as a dad? What would kids brag about? How awesome your dad was, amen? Everyone's dad was more awesome than the other guy's dad, right? My dad can beat up your dad. My dad can do this. If your dad did, did that, well, then, then my dad did that. And then more, my dad flew to the moon. He went to Mars. I mean, they just make up the most crazy things. But what is really cool is in a child, there is nothing. Think about that. Nothing their father can't do. I mean, they just believe it. And if their dad walked into the house and said, I can do this, that little kid says, yeah, you can. You can. And they go to bed with just with peace, knowing their dad can do anything. Isn't that awesome? And those teenage years come in. <laughs> the wonder and amazement is replaced with question and doubt. And tragically, joy is replaced with apathy. Perhaps today, you're at a place where you need to ask the Holy Spirit to renew the joy of your salvation. To begin to believe again that our Heavenly Father is just so awesome, there's nothing He can't do. Dream a dream, and He'll do bigger. Dream an outlandish scenario, and He'll do more. Think of something that's just crazy, and it's not even, it's a starting point. That's the kind of faith that we must have. That's faith like a child. And perhaps we need to maybe just be like the Father and say, Ah, Father, I believe. Just help my unbelief. Because I really want to see you move in my life. I really want to see you move in this church. I really want to see you move in this I want to see. I want to see. Help my unbelief. These three middle school boys show us that the supernatural power of God is experienced when we believe and confess that no matter what happens, we serve God and we serve a God who is who he says he is and we serve a God who does what he says he does. So let's move on, Daniel 3.17. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Will deliver. Say, will deliver. Uh, I love this. I just love this truth right here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood... Now, just listen carefully. That what God is able to do with the fiery furnace, with the situation, right, is not as important as delivering us from the power it has over us. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that what God is able to do with our fiery furnace is not as important as delivering us from the power it has over us. See, experiencing the supernatural victory and freedom that God has promised is realized when the difficulties, trials, tribulations, and situations that we face in this temporary world no longer have power over us because our hope, our hope is not tied to it. Our beliefs, 
are not based upon it. No matter how consuming the fiery furnace appears, they do not have the power to change how we think or how we act. King Nebuchadnezzar thought he had the power to get these three boys to bow down and worship him, to compromise and worship his ways. He changed their names. He educated them in their system. He threatened their lives. Yet three teenage middle school boys looked at the most powerful man on the face of the earth and said, hey, our, probably texted today, hey, our God is able to deliver us from this fire furnace. But listen, king, he has already delivered us from the power you think you have over us. You will not get me to do anything I don't want to do. You will not get me to compromise. You will not change what I believe. You will not change what I think. You have no power over me. You got none. Do what you want. But I serve the God who's in control. Victory is not ultimately about getting the outcome you want. Let's say that again. Because we have a church right now, not, not here, but a church in America that seems to be preaching a gospel. I don't even know where they get it from. Victory is not about getting what we want, the results we believe we're entitled to. Victory comes by not allowing anything or anyone to get you to compromise your love for God, your belief in His truth, and your commitment to his ways. The supernatural power of God is not defined merely by what we get, how we live, or how we respond to a life in a broken, unfair, sinful world. Let's just think about this. The Apostle Paul, who here would say he walked in victory? Right? Okay, watch this. I, I tell our kids this, when my hand is up, I just gave you the answer. <laughs> who here would say he walked in victory? I gave you the answer, be smart. What? Well, yes. Walked in victory, right? Who would say Paul walked in victory? What about his life? The man was shipwrecked. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods. He spent most of his time in prison. Does that sound like victory? None of those things had the power over him, which is why he said, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Daniel 3.18. We are getting ready to wrap this thing up. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not... See, I believe these verses show us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to experience the supernatural power of God because their love for him and commitment to him had no strings attached. No strings attached. No ifs, no ands. We will never fully experience all that God desires if we foolishly waste our time trying to negotiate. Think about this. I'm good. I am going, I've done it. And don't look at me with judging eyes, because so have you. I've done it. I've tried to negotiate with the infinite, all-powerful, self-sustaining, eternal God. Who here likes it when their two-year-old tries to negotiate with them? <laughs> Who finds that to be quite foolish? They're going to come in my house, they don't have a job, they can't provide, and they're going to negotiate. Well, if you do this, I'll clean up my room. Now, you just go clean your room up. You are in no position to negotiate with me. Amen? Yet it's even dumber that we negotiate with God. Well, you tell you what. You do this, God, and I'm going to do that. 
You just do that and then I'm all aboard. We don't negotiate with God. There are no strings attached. We can't love God and what he can do for us and what he can give us. Our love must be established on the revelation that our indescribable, flawless, and perfect God loves us. 1 John 4, 19, he loves, we love because he first loved us. Our love for him should flow from the truth that it is his mercy, grace, and love that has saved us from our sins, from eternal death and unending punishment. When we get a glimpse of who God is and what he has, say has, what he has done. He said it's finished, people. Finished is what he said on the cross. What he has done, everything else becomes unimportant, unnecessary. Or as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss deny and die. Deny and die. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Our eternal and intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father is all we need. Our love for God cannot contain ifs, if it's on our terms, if it's for our benefit, if the sacrifice is not too big, if the sacrifice is not too inconvenient. Look at me. A relationship held together with strings will not support the weight of the cross. The sacrifice required to follow Jesus and to glorify God is a weighty sacrifice, ladies and gentlemen. It's just weighty. But who knows that the supernatural power of God is awesome? Who knows that his presence is incredible and indescribable? Who knows that his love is just... I mean, those are the things that we're supposed to be chasing after. The Lord knows and sees what and why. He sees the what and why behind our actions. James 4, 3, Colossians 3, 17, Proverbs 16, 2. All remind us that God knows the motives of the heart. Raise your hand, uh, men. If your wives know why you're doing something and can read right through your motives, who knows that God can way see it? <laughs> right? Parents, if we can see exactly why our kid just picked up their room, right? We know the motives. Raise your hand if you know your all-knowing God can see your motives. He can just see your motives. He knows why you're doing it. And half the time, if we're honest, we're doing it for what? Not for him. It's all about me. It's all about me. He knows exactly what we're really after. When we're motivated not for our gain, not for our comfort, but rather God's glory, we are in a perfect position to experience the supernatural presence and power of God. So I've just got a few questions and we can wrap this up. Are we committed to serving God's purpose and plans? Are we? Do we believe in his power and promises? Do the events of this world, do they have authority over our thoughts and actions? Do we love God with strings attached? things just to ponder this week. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego teach us that the right answers to these questions determine how we will respond to the fiery furnaces we will all face. And it will impact how and if we experience his supernatural power of God.